The recent statistics are troubling. U.S. children continue to lag behind their international peers on test scores, happiness indexes, physical health, independence, and emotional well-being, making today's parents more anxious, more confused, and desperate to find solutions. The good news? Americans are ready and eager to embrace what works, regardless of the country of origin. Today we're talking to author Christine Gross-Lowe, author of Parenting Without Borders, about surprising lessons parents around the world can teach us. This is Parent Savers, episode 52. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Would you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome to Parent Savers, everybody. We're broadcasting as usual from the lovely Birth Education Center of San Diego. Here at Parent Savers, we're your weekly online on-the-go support group for parents of newborns, infants, and toddlers. We get a couple parents in studios along with myself to talk about experts on topics that you care about. I'm your host, John O'Reill. Thank you so much for joining the Parent Savers Club and listening to us. For those of you that have joined the club, you know that you get bonus content after each new show, access to all of our archived episodes, and plus we do special giveaways from time to time with discounts. For those of you that just subscribe to our newsletter, you can get more information from there or on our site. Um, and we also are offering a chance to win a free membership for all you newsletter subscribers too, so keep an eye out for that. And I think as you all know, there's another great way to stay connected with us at Parent Savers, and that's by downloading our app. You get automatically get the new podcasts whenever they're posted and you can listen to them pretty easily on the go and you can get that at the google play store or on the app store for apple so let's go around the room and introduce ourselves as i said my name is Johnner, and i have three boys uh one that is about 22 months old one that is four years old and one that is six years old and we are definitely willing to try anything and listen to what's going on in other countries as well and Shell's in studio. Too. Hi, I'm Shell. I'm 28. I'm the owner of the Swaddled Sprout, a natural parenting resource here in San Diego. And I have two boys. Uh, Sai is two and a half and Rook is 14 months. And I'm Amy. I have three little girls and I am a blogger here in San Diego. And it's BelovedAtmosphere.com. My daughters are eight, three, and I have a newborn who's almost two months. And on the phone, we have Christine. Hi, Christine. Tell us a little about yourself. Hi, um, I'm Christine Grosslow. I'm 44. I have, um, I'm a writer and an author, and I have four children. I have two boys. They're 12 and 10. And I have two girls who are 6 and 3. Nice. I like how that's spaced out for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, before we start today's show, we have a news headline that I'm going to hand out around the room, and I'll just read it to you, Christine. A family went to a restaurant, and on the receipt, they got a discount, unbeknownst to them, of four dollars off their meal of about sixty dollars for having well-behaved kids, and oh, everybody cheered that. that well-behaved kids. Well, that's, and it's that's kind of hilarious. It's kind of in reaction to I think, uh, and this was happening a lot earlier this year. It really says well-behaved children. Yeah, so people are writing. People were writing like kind of mean things, and there was a there was a one that went around where a preacher had uh, given no tip uh, to a waitress and there was huge internet backlash about it. And then this one made the rounds and everyone was really happy to see it. And what the server did, um, did their own discount. The bill was $58 and they did an open discount and they typed in well-behaved kids for $4. What do you guys think about that? Right. That's great. Right. Well, you know, I think it's a huge thing because we have always taken our kids places and we've lived in foreign countries and it's a huge thing. Americans, and this is a broad statement, but Americans by and large are very, very intolerant of children, children in well, pla- public places, whether it's an airplane or a restaurant or whatever else. We just went to a restaurant and I, I, 
I didn't feel bad. I mean, I, our kids were a little bit crazy. Um, but I, they're kids. I, right. But I felt bad for the other people that were yeah. there because they weren't signing up for the experience to have my kids be obnoxious. But when you go into public, you are signing up to experience people of all different ages and mm-hmm. places well, and, and types yeah. and sizes. And, and the just, reality is, is you got to get out there and do it or you're never going to. How are you supposed to teach your children to right. behave at, say, a, a ceremony of any type, right? Because now people are not inviting the kids. You're invited, but then I have to find a babysitter and it's 80 bucks, you know, just to go for a couple hours. So I'm, my point being, the more we as parents take our kids out to kid-friendly places, then you evolve to the nicer sit-down dinner. I think it's awesome that right. people are giving a, a well-behaved kid nice. because my kids would get that. They are. Mine they're wouldn't. expected. <laughs> well, <laughs> but mine are older. They're eight and three now. Yeah. And, you know, the three-year-old pulls it every once in a while. But by but and large, the more you practice. If you went to a restaurant that said, if your kids are well-behaved, we'll take 10% off. But Heck if they're yeah. not... We're going to add 10%. What would you get? Oh, <laughs> 10%? I'd be leaving the moment the someone risk. had their exactly. you know, like, yeah. I'm going to just pull, no, no. pull my chips right now. I'm yeah, out. I wouldn't go to a restaurant that taxed you for having children. Children. The kid tax. Not right. even I'm not saying a restaurant children. does that. But it's not but, even ill-behaved. It's right. just how kids are. You had this gone the know? other way, though, if someone had tacked oh, yeah, onto no, their bill uh-uh. for having not well-behaved kids, oh, yeah, I think the firestorm would have been I would be stoked if I got a bill like that. Yeah, it's really I would go back to that restaurant in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. That's rad. All right, so today's topic is international parenting perspectives. We're going to look a bit closer at parenting strategies and tips from around the world and how they may be especially helpful for Americans. So joining us on our Parent Savers Hotline by phone is author Christine Gross-Lowe, whose book, Parenting Without Borders, is available on May 2nd. So by the time you're listening to this, that means it is available now. So welcome, Christine. Thanks. So tell me how the idea for this book came about. Did you live abroad, or, or, or where did it I come did. from where you wrote this? I lived yeah. abroad. I lived in Japan for five years with my children. I lived there before that as well when I was a young adult. But um, really, I was raised in an immigrant family in America, and so I would noticed a lot of differences about parenting from the time I was young. But when I had my own kids, my um, two boys, and we were raising them in the States, um, I was parenting the way that I parenting them the way I saw parents around me raising their kids. And then we moved to Japan when they were five and three. And um, you know, when we first went there, I there were things that I saw that I thought were probably like you know they just were really startling to me. There were some things that I saw that I thought were actually wrong. Um, I saw a lot of kids. I, I, I it's interesting. I saw a lot more tolerance for sort of rambunctiousness there. Parents were sort of not really intervening as quickly, and I just thought, well, you know, um, these kids are kind of running wild. I saw things like that, but at the same time, I also saw sort of more strictness in other areas, and I thought at first, you know, my way was better than their way, and then I started to notice that the kids that we we knew were, you know, they were really nice, they were well-behaved, they were um, very self-reliant. That was a big thing that jumped out at me, and they were pretty mature, and they were solving disputes on their own. And so I began to think about, um, you know, my husband and I sort of just gradually adopted a more hybrid um, approach to raising our children using the best of what we saw in Japanese parenting and the best of what we saw in um, American parenting. And I felt like it was just so interesting to sort of discover that all cu- that these two cultures had their own very specific and very different views about what, you know, ways of defining what good parenting is that I wanted to learn more. So I started to investigate other cultures, and that turned into my book. So uh, starting here in the U.S., what are some of the problems you think that we're seeing specifically uh, in America, like helicopter parenting or spoiling our kids, eating habits, that type of thing? 
Yeah, well, I, I think we, you know, we, I think certainly all of these are problems that at least some parents can relate to in one way or another, and they're sort of, sort of generally widespread. I think that um, a lot of this, you know, and this comes from sort of comparing the way we do things generally. This is, of course, very broadly speaking, with the way parents in other countries might do things. On the topic of eating, for instance, I think that we get a lot of advice about giving our children lots of choice and lots of sort of like, um, you know, initiative. We tiptoe around the idea of teaching them how to eat very deliberately because, we, we worry about being over-controlling, but the result is, you know, the result then is that we, you know, we worry about making them feel self-conscious about their weight or causing a food disorder, and I just didn't see the same sort of thing when we were living abroad in Japan, and parents in other countries that I talked to also, um, you know, take a more sort of structured approach to introducing children to food and to eating and to what meal times are like. And, you know, it's a sort of more traditional approach, which I had rejected when I first had children because I thought that it didn't give children enough choice. But I realized that actually what these parents were doing was um, teaching their children a life skill so that their children would have more choice. These children that I saw were not, there There was no sort of concept really about picky eating, and, and I've heard parents in other cultures say that too. Of course, children have likes and dislikes, and, you know, it's just a matter of how you approach that. Are you going to accept it and say, you know, my child eats white food only, and, you know, or are you going to sort of, like, try to broaden broaden their horizons? And it was, you know, it really went against the way that I thought um, children should be fed at the very beginning, but here's the really nice thing that happened for us was that our children's friends would influence them really positively. They'd be like, you should try that. You should try that. And then the schools were in on it. Everyone was in on it. And so there was just no sort of, you know, here sometimes if I want my child to try something, I might have a well-meaning relative or somebody say, oh, you know, if you don't like that, you don't have to eat that. But I want them to try things. And, and I want them to know that, you know, you may not like everything at first, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to later. But if you don't try it at all, you're never going to be able to learn that. And um, so I found, I think that it's very helpful when we sort of switch our mindset and, um, and have other people on board too. And that's where I think having more cultural-wide, you know, mindsets about food um, that are a little bit different can be very helpful. We lived in Asia as well and had the same experience, Christine. I think um, really? we call it a yes, please portion instead of a no, thank you. <laughs> oh, I was I raised with that. a no, thank you. We call it a yes, please, and they still turn up their noses and no, oh, darn, oh, really? we have to try it. But they do try it. And, you know, yes. when you don't have a choice, it's it's hard. You know, it's yes. hard to when they don't have a choice. When you're living in Korea or Japan and all you have around you is a certain type of food, you either go hungry or you abide, right. you, and know, you know, and even, it's okay. Right. Even our pediatrician has told us it can take up to 12 times offering the same food for your child to even take a bite of it and enjoy it. And that's, right. I mean, my son, from day one, first time he tried carrots, spit them out, spit them out, spit them out. He hated carrots. That's his favorite vegetable now at two and a half. You know, it's just, you just got to keep offering. And, and not letting yeah. them run it. I think, Christine, you had a great point when you talked about how um, you were, I was exactly the same way having been a, a teenage. I had eating issues when I was a teenager, and I'm so concerned about it with three little girls. And I think the most important thing 
from what you had said was just to expose them to that different way of thinking be a little more structured about it and then you know okay if you want more you can have more of your favorite thing or whatever just couching it in a different manner that's a great idea right i think that one way to sort of do take the hybrid approach to eating Mm -hmm. which we try to do now is you know in in japan for instance people would plate the portions you know other people plate the portion for you and children are expected to eat it all and that really just felt like it wasn't quite right for our family the way that we had been raising our children until then and even though that was the norm at school and they sort of knew that um you know what we try to do at home for instance is we will put the food on the table they serve it to themselves and and as long as they try a bite of everything then that is that um you know that has served the goal of of trying that without sort of taking a an overly structured approach which i think takes choice away from children so i think there's a, a middle ground to all of this um that has worked well for us and sitting around the table is a huge thing that we're that's all getting away from. That's a very huge from. thing. And that's, yep. yes, that's, an, that's the other whole component of it is that eating is always communal. It's always a shared experience. And that is part of how, you know, how children learn to eat. And they're always eating the same food. There's no separate kids' meals. Exactly. Kids right. In other and cultures, you'll see that. that's a huge part of it yeah. as well. There's no, that's why, yeah, if you go to an ethnic restaurant, you don't see kids' menus, and that's that's really why. It's just an alien concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so surprised. I'm still surprised even here, but I know that it happens a lot when I hear about some of our friends that they'll feed the kids dinner and then eat their dinner. They make like three dinners. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. It's Daddy wants this. <laughs> Mommy wants that. Yeah. yeah. I have a super picky eater, and we still don't do that. We right. just, oh, well, you can have more of, yeah. yeah, like you said, your favorite thing. If you don't want to eat it all, fine. You can have carrots. I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's on your plate already. But, yeah, no, we're not going to make, make you chicken nuggets if you're not going to eat our dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure we could write a whole book about <laughs> food issues, right? <laughs> but I think, but the book covers more than that, too. Yeah. So what are some other things, uh, whether it's helicopter parenting or something else that's in the book? Well, this whole issue of self-esteem, for instance, yeah. uh, there was this idea in our country that that is really a very recent one, because it certainly wasn't like this when I was growing up, that um, the best way to raise confident kids and to sort of prevent all sorts of emotional problems, et cetera, was to praise them a lot and and that that would boost their confidence. Now we know that there's plenty of research that shows us that praise actually given in this way can undermine children. It can actually have the opposite effect of what we hope for them. And I think that that research is out there, and I think a lot of people are starting to understand this, but it's still sort of a reflexive thing. I mean, I saw somebody the other day praising her grandchild for um, drinking water, you know, good drinking (laughs) water. I love how you hold your fork. (laughs) <laughs> and it's and I think that you know just getting to a sort of reasonable place with this it's not that parents in other countries don't praise their children they actually we actually found that they do very much but they praise them and encourage them for different things and I think the one big thing you know is to praise them for their for for a good effort it's not even for accomplishment it's you know, trying hard. Yeah, yes. so there's nothing wrong with praise. I love praise. It feels really good to praise your kid. It feels better to praise your kid than it does to punish them, which isn't a reason right. to never punish them and to always praise them. Right. But, you know, it's it's it feels good as a parent to praise your kid. It's how, The issue is, what are you praising them for? Yeah, I think right. I, I was a teacher and a daycare provider for a long time, and that was, it's not like, you're a good girl. 
Yeah. That's or you're a good boy. Good job. You know, and it's like, good job. I like how you pulled up your pants. Yeah, wow. You know, I can no. see you're trying so hard to do that. <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of that. You well, must think, be so proud of yourself. <laughs> well, and I think that that's okay, but the more specific you are, the more you're giving genuine praise. And that's the difference right. I saw in living in okay. Korea. Uh, yeah. in Korea in particular, it's almost the opposite. It's a it's a deprecating sort of culture, and so you have to live up to the, the highest standard and so for us we we had to really juggle you know mm-hmm. doing it correctly or doing yeah. it more very specific very specific mm-hmm. praise so and so i love how you took time to read i know that's not your favorite thing to do but you did a really good job at reading for 30 minutes today or mm-hmm. you know being as specific as possible because then you are generating self-esteem and and mm-hmm. you know bringing that into your child's life and getting it, you know, as part of your family culture. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk even more about some of the surprising lessons that are in Christine's book, um, as well as talk about if there's anything that other cultures can actually learn from Americans if we're doing anything right over here. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking on the phone on our Parent Savers Hotline with author Christine Gross-Lowe about her book, Parenting Without Borders, Surprising Lessons Parents Around the World Can Teach Us. It's available now if you want to pick up a copy. Uh, Christine, when you're writing this book, is there anything that really, I mean, it's in the title, Surprising Lessons. Uh, What are some things that surprised you to learn? Because I think it wouldn't, it's not necessarily surprising for Americans to learn that we have food issues and our (laughs) kids are doing like the wrong things. But what, what were some of the surprising things that you uncovered in the book? Well, um, let's see, there were, there were just so many things. I think one that really jumped out at me because I tended to be um, a little more cautious about my children's safety was mm-hmm. that the best way to keep kids safe is to let them take um, risks. I mean, it's not like you go crazy and they just they can just run around doing, um, you know, any risky thing they want, but apparently children have their own sort of, you know, um, they have they are craving the chance to develop a sort of sense of judgment for what their bodies are capable of what and what they are capable of and when we're sort of in the way and we're saying to them you know be careful don't climb that tree don't mm-hmm. climb too high you know don't do this don't do that we're sort of we're sort of becoming that voice that inner voice that they should be developing and that they are really wanting to develop and so um, you know, one researcher that I talked to in Norway was saying that in her research she's found that the best way to keep children safe is to let them take um, risks. certain risks. Experiential learning. Sort of, totally. Yeah, and it was really, really very helpful for me. I, it was also hard to, you know, I think this, this sort of dovetailed with my instincts, but what I discovered um, was that it was hard to do that when other parents around me were judging me, you know, yeah. saying, um, oh, you know, I, you know, or would even come over. I, I had one situation where um, my daughter was climbing a slide by herself, and she was doing really well. She was concentrating very hard and climbing it, and, and I was standing a little bit far away because I knew that, you know, she was trying this out herself. And another pe- person, another mother swooped in and encouraged her up the slide and then, sort of like, you know, encouraged her down, and it sort of took that chance away from her herself. And I also felt, you know, I don't know if she was or not, but I felt like, you know, when that is happening, it also sort of is questioning my own judgment, but I know my daughter best, and I knew what she was doing, and I and I trusted her, and she was really loving the chance to climb this by herself. I wasn't yards and yards away. I was actually very close, but I wasn't, you know, I was quietly watching so I wouldn't interrupt her, com- her concentration. And so it is hard because even if there are things that you believe that um, 
are, you know, a good way to raise your child. And research shows that it's good. It's hard when um, the culture around you sort of undermines you or can give you the message that you're not being a good parent by doing what you're doing. Uh, my my two-and-a-half-year-old is very rambunctious. He is a climber. He's a jumper. He's also very – he knows his body. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's confident, and he rarely falls on his face. Mm-hmm. And he does things that a lot of kids – my friend's kids don't do and you know we posted a little video of him not so long ago jumping off the couch onto a trampoline shooting a basket and jumping on the hardwood floor (laughs) and I had several friends going you let him do that (laughs) I can't believe you let him do that it was like you know I just won like the bad mommy award for letting my kid jump on the furniture but it's like You know, you'd, you'd be amazed to see the things I don't let him do. It's, you know, he's fine. He's, yeah. he's and learning. I think you guys, <laughs> yeah, are, it's yeah. awesome is, that you do that. He is learning yeah. what he's capable of. Well, but it's, it, we have a friend that lives, um, she had moved back in with her parents. And she has, I think she's, she'd moved back in when the daughter was three. And my wife and I would always talk about, can you imagine having to, con- the constant parenting that you're doing, but then to have it under the judgmental eye yeah. of the mother of your parents. Oh, right there. And and yeah. so I think that's an interesting thing that you talk about that in a way it feels like some of the international parenting decisions that you can make and feel empowered to after reading the book, that you've got to have the confidence to be able to do that. And I think two things that play here. One, when, when we were in Asia, it was, it takes a village. I had never seen mm. so many men as hands-on helpers because they are older you know they're they're older siblings of younger and it's expected in that culture that everybody pitches in and so i needed to step back and say it's not about you amy it's about you know they're trying to help from their perception they're actually helping you and embracing you and i needed to just process that for a while that took me a while and i think the other part you were saying experiential learning you know you can't be anybody else because, or what is it? You have to be yourself because everybody else is taken. Yeah. If you are truly doing, nobody goes out and says, you know, I'm going to hurt my kid today. That's <laughs> exactly what I want to do. You're you're doing your very level best. And if you mess up, you mess up together. And you say, I saw you fall there. I'm really sorry. Let's pick it up, dust it off, and we'll be better right. next time. But if you don't let your kid fall, as it were, you know, figuratively or literally, how are they ever going to learn and right. grow that self-esteem? Does that, does that sound to you, Christine, like any specific culture, that idea of really setting kids off on their own? Well, I think it's very interesting. I heard stories from several Swedish parents which sounded sort of, you know, similar that, um, you know, children ha- children were encouraged to take greater um, greater risks than I think a lot of American parents would be comfortable with. Um, you know, three-year-olds climbing trees pretty high, um, that sort of thing. And they just, they, you know, the idea is the same. They that is sort of how they learn what they're capable of. And um, there's a sort of just a greater trust that they're able to do this. I think that we've sort of lost touch with that idea that because we have such a, um, I think that in our country there is a very strong idea that very involved parenting is, is what good parenting is. And that's a pretty recent idea. And it can be, I mean, it's very good in some ways. Uh, clearly involved parenting is, um, is better than, um, you know, uninvolved parenting. But it's all a matter of degree, and I think that it puts an enormous amount of pressure on parents and on children um, when you feel like you do have to be so closely attending to everything that your child is doing. Kind of turning the tables, I guess, do you think there's anything that we do as Americans that Mm -hmm. other countries could kind of stand to emulate? 
Oh, I definitely do. I mean, you know, the fact is we came back to this country. It was a deliberate decision after five years away, even though um, we were enjoying our time there very much. I knew that there were things that our children can benefit from here as well, and I wanted them to be able to benefit from that. Um, one of the things, I mean, I, I really love the way that we express our love to children. That is a way that resonates with me. It's not that other parents in other countries don't love their children. I, they express it in ways that are culturally appropriate, and um, everyone in the world loves their children. You know, that's that's not what it's about. But the way that it's expressed in this country to our children um, really fits the way that I like to express love to mine. So that was something that I liked being able to do. Um, I also think that we're, we are really wonderful about trying to teach our children about tolerance and inclusiveness. Mm, I think that this yes. is something that we are we are amazing about compared to many other countries. Um, we, you know, when we came back, we go to the library, we open any book, and you can see portrayals of people living different lives, people who live differently, children who look differently, and this. Um, just you, when you're seeing this all the time and when your teachers are talking about it, when your parents are talking about it, when it's part of the conversation out there, I think it really is the most important way to raise children who can grow up to be very accepting of and um, inclusive um, of diverse people and diverse ways of being. And I think that's, that's something a lot of other countries should learn from us. Awesome point, Christine. I have a segue there. Um, what do you mm-hmm. think are the cultural stereotypes when it comes to parenting, and how do you embrace them, or how does that how does that play out in your family? And what do you well, think about that? You know, it's interesting. I, of course, I knew I know what a lot of these stereotypes are. I tried very hard not to let them sort of guide um, guide me in my investigation. Um, what I found was some of them may ring sort of true, but for reasons that are different than we might think, um, and then others don't. Like in when I visited China, for instance, it was just six months after the um, the book by Amy Chua, the Tiger Mother book, came out. A lot of Chinese parents told me, you know, that book is not about Chinese parenting, and it doesn't really represent um, what we're striving for necessarily. I mean, certainly some parts probably resonate, I think, but um, and as the daughter of Asian immigrants and somebody who's very familiar with age, I know the parts that resonate, but I also think it's very important to remember that she was writing a very specific memoir about her own specific immigrant experience in America, and actually in China, apparently, um, or in Taiwan, at least, the... Um, I think, I'm not exactly sure of the number, but an overwhelming number of books, more parenting books there that are read and sold are Western translations than, um, than local ones. They're more, they read more books from the West about parenting than they do about um, books about parenting written by Chinese. So I think that's very interesting. I mean, there's a great interest in sort of the way that we parent um, and in learning about how other cultures parent. And that, I think, is, is actually really nice to see other cultures are interested in how other cultures parent and we can be interested in that as well what are some of the common threads you see among other cultures we talked a lot about the differences but what are some of the things that other that you see a lot of cultures have in common yeah well i think it's the the number one thing that unites parents everywhere is that they all want their children to succeed in their society succeed doesn't mean like you know Succeed just means thrive, make it as an adult, and, and have a good life. And I think that this is um, the, that what makes it look different from culture to culture is that what it takes to succeed is different in each in each society. Yeah. But this mm-hmm. this desire, the to, you know, mm-hmm. this desire to raise children who will thrive is is common everywhere. And so even if a parent in another culture or parents in other cultures, you know, as a whole, seem to do things that we may find a little startling or unenlightened or 
or, um, you know, worthy of emulation. It's all really important to re- remember where it came from. It comes from a very particular culture and very particular cultural goals. And we have our own goals as well. And so that's, that's important to remember when we're, um, you know, when we're talking about parenting across cultures. Well, and it's not that there's necessarily a right way or a wrong way. I mean, it's like if you were going to drive from San Diego to New York, there's a lot of different <laughs> paths you can take to get there. Yeah, I think that um, I think actually that's one of the things that we have the most freedom to do in our country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also what makes it hard because it is absolutely harder to raise your children when you don't have a lot of like-minded people around you helping to sort of reinforce what you are trying to do when you're going it alone. That's 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 harder. But um, we do have a sort of freedom um, and an open-mindedness to look and see what might be working for someone else or what might be a solution for a common problem that a lot of parents, you know, have um, and, and sort of, you know, look further into it, adapt what works for you and leave what doesn't. I think um, you had mentioned earlier that we all love our children and sharing love, mm-hmm. however you do it. I think all parents have children to love and to, you know, perpetuate and, and have that, um, for lack of a better word, just the carrying on of your family line mm-hmm. and stuff. And caring for your elders, I found, too, is always a different. Everybody does it differently. But uh, those yeah. are the things that I think, you know, yeah. common threads uniting all cultures are how yeah. do we care for our elders and what does that yeah. look like and how can we be sure that we give them the respect right. and dignity right. they deserve. It's, it's very parallel, I think. Well, it's a fascinating subject, and I can't wait to dig more into the book, and I'm sure our listeners can't as well. Again, it's called Parenting Without Borders. Surprising lessons parents around the world can teach us. We'll have a link to it uh, on our website on the episode page. Thanks so much, Christine, for joining us. Thanks so much. Thanks, Amy and (laughs) Michelle and Baby L again, as always. Thanks for having us. Need to get her picture on the website as well. (laughs) All right, so all this information is on our website. We're actually going to continue the conversation with Christine right now for members of our Parent Savers Club. I'm going to talk to her about some more lessons she thinks Americans can try right now. And I've got to ask her a question that I have about international mother-in-law, see if she has any perspective on that as well. (laughs) As we near the end of today's show, here's Detective Damian Jackson with some great ways to better protect our children. Hey, Parent Savers, this is Detective Damian Jackson with the Escondido Police Department's Family Protection Unit and the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force here in San Diego, California. As part of the Escondido Police Department's ongoing series of community outreach education to help families enhance their personal safety, I'm here today to talk to you about family tree stickers on the back of your car. You know the ones I'm talking about. Why on earth do you have them on there? Every time I'm driving behind someone that has those stickers, I want to get out of my car at the next red light, pull out a razor blade, and scrape those things off the window. Of course you're proud of your family. Who wouldn't be? They're the most awesome people in the world, and they're your pride and joy. So what's the harm in having these stickers? Let me paint a scenario for you to ponder. Let's say a local child predator has spent some time driving behind you, studying the names below those stickers on your back window. I mean you have them all conveniently listed, right down to the family dog. Then they happen to chance across one of your children and has this little exchange with them. Billy! Billy! Oh, I'm so glad I found you. Your dog Rex got hit by a car and your mom, Jennifer, had to go get your sister, Alice, and take her to the veterinarian. Hop into my car real quick and we'll call your dad, Bob, on the way over there. Well, as you can see, what might seem like an innocent set of stickers on the back of your car can open you and your family up to being victimized by predators. If a stranger walked up to you somewhere and asked you what your children's names were, would you tell them? 
Of course you wouldn't. So why would you openly advertise it to hundreds of strangers every single day on the open road? Scrape those things off and protect your family's privacy. For more information on how you can help keep your family safe, visit us on Facebook or Twitter at forward slash Escondido Police. With the Escondido Police Department and the San Diego Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, I'm Detective Damian Jackson, reminding you and your family to be smart and be safe. All right, that wraps it up for today's Parent Savers. We appreciate you listening so much. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents and the Boob Group for Moms Who Are Breastfeeding. Next week, we're going to be revisiting a topic to make sure we've got all the angles covered. It's going to be an interesting show, to say the least. We're going to look again at circumcision, and this time we've got an expert that's going to be talking about it from the intact point of view. Last time we had a doctor on who performed circumcisions, and this time we have someone on who's called an intactivist who advocates against circumcisions. This is Parent Savers, empowering new parents. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.